Today on Thinking Biblically, we're going to Israel. Welcome back to Thinking Biblically, where we seek to connect all scripture with all of life. And before I introduce this week's guest, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe, comment, review, and share. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Aaron Aimi. Aaron is a Bible historian and the deacon of Christ Church Jerusalem. Uh, he is uh, he was born in Western Australia in a small farming community, but has lived in Israel for the past 22 years. Aaron studied in the master's program at the Rothberg School at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem with a focus on early Jewish and Christian interpretation of the Bible. He has taught internationally in Europe, Asia, and North America. Aaron is currently a content creator specializing in the Hebraic roots of the Christian faith. Aaron and Michelle have been married for the past 26 years and they have three children, the oldest of whom recently has been inducted into the Israel Defense Forces. Thank you so much, Aaron, for being willing to do this with me today. Great to see you again, Alan. Uh, Delighted to be here. Um, could you imagine what it would have been like for somebody to show up in your small farming community many years ago and say to you, one day your eldest offspring will be in the Israeli army? What Could you like? I couldn't imagine that. Oh my gosh, absolutely not. When I was when I was walking around um, wheat fields and and sheep farms, I didn't think of, of anything beyond the, the 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 county. I mean, who knew? Um, I didn't even know it was in the ocean. I live right next to it. Uh, <laughs> so, how how do you how does somebody like yourself get from there to where you are now? In 25 words or less. No, you could take a few extra words than that. But um, how how does that happen? Uh, excellent question. And um, I guess I, I start by saying um, I didn't hear the voice of heaven say, Aaron, get thee to Jerusalem. The Although I believe in God's province, absolutely. And I know that he is in control. But I didn't hear that voice saying, this is what you're going to do. Some people do. It's great. Um uh, raised in a, in a in a farming community, very safe way to to grow up, uh, a lot of fun. Moved to Queensland to go to uh, university, and uh, as as you grow up and learn and, and start experiencing life, you meet these um, wonderful, absolute beautiful creatures called women, and uh, and, I, and I managed to get one. And instead of doing the house, the car, the cat, the kid, the dog, and the white picket fence, which is great, and that's a great thing, I really wanted to travel. I had the, I had the travel bug. And uh, so instead of, of uh, getting married and settling down, uh, Michelle and I, we got married, and, and I said, all we're going to have is a backpack and you know one pair of jeans and when the pair of jeans runs out we'll throw that away and buy another one and one pair of shoes we'll just we'll take our backpack and we'll go around the world so before we'll before you go down that road um where's faith at in your life by oh. this time okay yeah I, I, I was like a lot of people was born into um a christian family my 
father uh, is a Lutheran and my mother was an Anglican. And back then, one of them had to convert to one or the other. Back then, that was the way it was all done in the 60s. Um, but we would attend Lutheran church in, in the morning and then my mother would take me to an Anglican church in the evening, which was um, sort of very charismatic Anglican. So uh, my first I- I- impression of Anglicans were they were all the Shandala Manda, you know, um, ha- um, flag-waving guys. Um, and the Lutherans were the staid guys with a prayer book <laughs> And, uh, and and robes. Um, and but my faith then wasn't very dynamic. It was a thing that you did because your parents did it. You accompanied your parents. That was great too. Put in a good, good I learned Bible stories. Um, but it wasn't a personal faith. There wasn't a connection between me and God. There was no me and me and the Messiah, me and Jesus. Uh, after going to university, I had a like a lot of people, um, a faith drop-off, uh, you know, backslid and whatever you want to call it, uh, um, wine, women and song and all of that in abundance. Um, and I was going past a, a Baptist church on the way home from university. I was studying psychology and social work. So I was studying, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to fix the world, yes, but I wanted to do it through secular means, which is uh, just, just Band-Aids. Um, I was walking past this Baptist church and I saw a sign that said um, creation versus evolution. And being a thinker, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go check out what this is about. I was, I know what my parents believe in. Um, I went to the church and the, there was a lively debate, but um, there, were, there was this microbiologist who stood up and he gave an incredible presentation on blood clotting. How, how blood clots when you when you cut, and just the sheer complexity at the at the at the microscopic level, the microbiological level, uh, defies um, evolution. It is it's, uh, it's, it's actually incredible, and I remember just sitting there going, "Oh my gosh, I've been so stupid." So I, I walked to the book counter and I got out my credit card and I bought every book that was on the table and and I went home. I didn't even make it inside. I just sat on the front porch uh, in the full sun, which in Australia is really hot, and I just opened up my first book. It was called um, Darwin's Black Box by Michael Behe, and, and I've never looked back since then. And then that that would be my my. Um, uh, my revelation moment. That would be my Mount Sinai moment where God revealed himself and said, Aaron, I'm alive and I've got a very special love for you. And uh, and, and so that's when he became my king. And uh, I've never looked back on that since. Just got my relationship has gotten deeper and deeper and, and stronger and stronger and, and, and praise the Lord for that. Do you know what it do you know what it was that that had the impact it wasn't like oh or was it oh i assumed evolution was true oh i get it god created the world i'm in or was it something there's some what was it you so you read uh darwin's black box what impacted you so so i i mean i i i my my academic studies i think kind of led me to be a sort of very uh, logical thinker, uh, uh, a very analytical person. So 
while I enjoy experiences, I, I didn't have that experience that would help me propel me to faith. Some people do. Um, it was that deep within inside every blood cell that we have, there are, are a series of enzymes. And I think there's like 27. And they, they function in a chain, in a sequence, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And you can't rearrange them. They have to, it has to be in, 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 in a, this sequence for blood to physically actually clot. Any, any missing element, any element out of place, and the actual blood doesn't function the way it's meant to function, you'll end up with hemophilia. You'll end up with blood clots. You think something's not working. And, um, and the, the challenge by this microbiologist was prove to me that this happened by chance. Because if you only have half the enzymes, because evolution is the introduction of new genetic information following um, uh, uh, generation. So one generation will only have 10 enzymes, the next generation might have 11, the next one might have 12. But that's not blood. That doesn't work that way. The only way blood works is if all 27 enzymes are in sequence at the same time. And I just remember sitting there and the, the, the verse from the Bible hit me that life is in the blood, and I, which is from, from the Torah. And I just remember sitting there going, oh, my gosh, you know, this is uh, blood is so special, so unique, and oddly enough, incredibly biblical. Um, didn't kind of know that piece of information at the time. So that was it. Life is in the blood, and blood is a is a is an incredible uh, gift from the Lord. All right, so let's get let's get you back on the airplane. Okay, so um, packed our bags and we decided to move to Canada. Yes, we went to, oh, to your country. So yeah. so honored. Yeah, it's, it's Remembrance well, Day this week, and everything. Of, um, the Commonwealth. We have the ability to be able to work in each other's countries. Well, we used to, um, and uh, we had we had put in our applications with the embassy, Canadian embassy, accepted instantly. It was a it was a thing that our countries could do. We arrived at the airport, warmly greeted by the the customs officials. They stamped our passports, told us exactly what we had to do to open bank accounts and get a SIN card, and um, and so we lived in. Um, Vancouver for a year and Calgary. For I six really, months. I every, these things happen. So many people who watch this are Canadian. We've got some other people, and you just referred to a getting a SIN card. So just for you folks who don't know, that's our version of a social security card. It stands for social insurance number. And some of us believers have a hard time calling it a SIN card, but that's another story. <laughs> and so. Yeah, let's 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 go back to Vancouver now. I got I got one of those mysterious numbers that I needed to pay my taxes with, <laughs> and um, and and so and wandering around uh, Canada looking for a, a, a Vancouver looking for a church. Well, um, coming from my Lutheran heritage uh, with my my parents, I decided that uh, we'll, we'll have a look at the local Lutheran church. So we went to Dunbar Evangelical Lutheran Church, rocked up on Sunday morning, and there at the on the altar was a Canadian flag. That's pretty normal. And on the other side was an Israeli flag. My wife and I are sitting there in the back, you know, trying to be you know, just 
inconspicuous, sort of worship, see what the community's like. Thinking, what is that doing there? Afterwards, went and chatted to the pastor, and uh, he said, um, well, why don't you come for lunch and I'll explain it. And so there you go. My introduction to the Israel story was through a Lutheran pastor, Norwegian Lutheran, in sunny Vancouver. And uh, boy, do I appreciate that guy because uh, that put me on a path that uh, helped me reread my Bible, uh, helped me open up um, my eyes a little bit more to the way God works uh, with his people and um, actually begin to put the seed of a desire to visit Israel, not to stay, to visit. That's kind of I, – I, I tend to say oops, but it's not yeah. oops. <laughs> You know, one of the themes I'm hearing and, and some aspects of your story I'm hearing for the first time is you you have this affinity for design. And there's something about the design of blood that really spoke to you. And then you encountered, again, encountered the design of God's plan. And that also seemed to really click for you in, in some way. So then what happened? Oh, that's nicely put, Alan. That's yeah, very nice. Well, um, we sat in uh, under this guy's teaching for uh, 12 months and then moved to to um, Calgary, where we joined a brethren church. Uh, that was our local area, uh, local church in the area. Um, I didn't feel like crossing, you know, 10 blocks to go to a church. There was one right there. And uh, uh, the brethren had this interesting um, tradition where. Uh, you'd all have better read the the Bible readings for that Sunday, and yet everyone better be prepared to speak, because uh, they would just say, um, "Aaron, brother Aaron, you, know, you want to say something about the Psalm for the day, and you'd better be ready." Well, that means you better start learning some some Bible, and uh, and I began to talk about, um, I guess initially what I thought was the role of Israel, but from a very um, I get, not naive, but um, young, in, ill-informed. How's that? Um, yeah, I tried. Um, and, and the community liked it. They said, oh, we haven't kind of thought about that way before. So it was nice. And, and oddly enough, when I actually went to Hebrew University, it was that brethren church that uh, paid my food bill for, for three years. So um, God continues to help me meet interesting uh, people along the way and uh, form friendships and i still have very good friendships with with members of that community and every time i'm in calgary i'll go and stay with them every single time well keep going okay so finishing our our time in in, in uh canada it was time to go visit the uh, that land that's a little bit south of you rather large place and uh, we ended up getting to most states and visiting all kinds of churches, Black Methodist, um, Pentecostal, Baptists. I mean, I was opened up to a whole gambit of different types of traditions, different ways of reading the Bible, different ways of viewing things. And um, I really enjoyed it. When I got to, uh, we're, we're making our, our way towards England, which we were allowed to work in England as well. I decided that um, we'd spent so much money on buses and planes and trains and hiring cars. I'm going to buy a car this time. So um, got to England. The very first thing I did when I got off the plane was I walked to the information counter, looked at the lady and said, hi, how do you buy a car in this country? 
should have looked at me and went, wow, normally people ask me, where's the nearest hotel? Or how do I find the train into London? Here's what you do. She, she gave me a, a thing called The Loot. This is a newspaper, but it had um, vehicles for sale. So promptly went down to a place called Earl's Court where all the Australians hang out and the Antipodeans. And uh, Michelle and I bought a 1973 VW rust bucket camper van. And we, we drove that camper van all over England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales, settled down in the Cotswolds to um, work in a 19-bedroom manor house in Bybury. Uh, very interesting experiences. Um, moved into London to work for the Moreland Brewery and run a pub, um, which in Australia is not a bad thing. In some North American audiences, uh, that seems to be a bad thing. However, by this stage, our faith was um, very on fire. And uh, one of the interesting things you rules they have in England is at 11 o'clock, you have to literally close the pub and kick everybody out. If you're the landlord, you can lock the door, put the blinds down, and it's called a shut-in, where you will allow the patrons to have one or two more drinks. So what I would do is I would say, guys, you want to shut in? It'd be like five or six people. And I'd say, yeah. I'd say, okay, but here's the rule. I get to talk about Jesus. Uh, and by this stage, they've had a few that they didn't care. So I had a really good time um, evangelizing my little um, uh, Lonely Hearts Club there at 11 o'clock in the evening in London. Um, and I was the church that Michelle and I were going to was Holy Trinity Brompton which is a very um, Ang Anglican, charismatic Anglican movement. And uh, Sandy Miller was the rector and Nikki Gumbel was still working through getting ready to publish the Alpha course. This is in 1998. When we had finished our contract, we decided to go on an exploration of Europe. So we drove our little camper van from London. We drove it all the way down to Morocco and then back up into Spain we drove it all the way to Austria and, uh, and, and Germany. We met some friends who had done a teen challenge mission in Kazakhstan. And uh, we picked them up at the airport in, in Vienna. And, and they said, listen, uh, our mother is a volunteer in Israel. Is it okay if we drive to go and see her? Yeah, we'd love to go to Israel. We've always wanted to. We've got a little affinity now for God's plan and purposes. We'll go there and, and see what she's doing. So we drove to Israel. We're not intending to stay. Um, the When we hopped on the ferry from Greece, which you take a ferry from Greece to Rhodes, Cyprus, and into the port of Haifa, um, we were fully expecting to, you know, have the car, you know, ripped apart looking for drugs or bombs or something. I mean, this is Israel. It's kind of expecting in our minds that, that, that uh, sort of an armed camp is what we were going to encounter. Instead, we drove off the ferry into Haifa. The security guard came over and he looked at us and he looked at our vehicle and he said, what's the purpose of bringing the car into Israel? And I was so struck by the question, I just said to drive it. He goes, I don't know what I'm supposed to sell it or I don't know. Um, he goes, okay, go over there and fill out some paperwork, get your permission to drive in Israel or whatever it was. Um, I went and did that. Uh, they stuck a camera under the car put a dog around it looking for drugs. We don't do that kind of stuff. Let us in. It was that simple. It was that welcoming and that simple. Unbelievable. 
So we found this guy's uh, uh, mother, and she was a volunteer uh, at a place called uh, Stella Carmel up near Haifa, which is uh, uh, attached to CMJ. We didn't know that at the time. We just visited and went for a little trip down to um, the Dead Sea where we, we camped for three days. And uh, uh, it, the Dead Sea is an amazing place, lowest point on the earth where you can still stand and above on the, and, and breathe. Um, and everyone floats and bobs. But in the evening when all the tourists leave and hop in the tour buses and go back to their hotels, all these Bedouin and Arab communities almost like spontaneously generate out of the rock in these large family groups of 30, 40, 50, and uh, big family groups. And they're, and they're all along the shore and they start cooking and having barbecues. And in the Middle East, hospitality is a really big deal, both for Jewish and Arab peoples. In fact, all, all peoples, uh, Assyrians and, and Armenians. They, so we were invited to eat with this family couldn't understand Arabic, very, couldn't communicate, but food was the language. So they cooked an amazing dish. We ate, I don't know what it was, some obscure animal. Um, and in the, in the morning, we got very, very sick. We had what we called the Great White Throne Judgment. You heard of that one? Yes. You have to be somewhere close to a yes Great White no. Throne. <laughs> yes, yes. Wow. Anyway, um, so we needed a place to recover. Back then, we were using a uh, we were using books. I see you've got them in your back shelf. Um, we had the Lonely Planets Guidebook to Israel, and we flipped through our Lonely Planets Guidebook looking for a safe place to 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 go, and uh, we ended up going to Christchurch because there was an advert, Christchurch, Jerusalem, and uh, nice gardens, clean toilets was its little you know three-line blurb. So we drove our little beat-up camper van, so are you uh, saying you ended up there because of the toilets? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and we, we got to... This we should, got go, to, this should uh, go into a, a promo brochure. Well, it did. Yeah, it actually go. did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Continue. The, the, way God, the way God can actually speak to you. <laughs> uh, and we, 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 are, we parked our car in the, in the car park. The Christchurch has, has something very rare in the old city. It actually has parking. Um, and and we sat in the in the courtyard, and uh, for about five days. And while we were sitting there recovering, reading our Bibles, and just meeting the people, we encountered this community of Jews who believe in Jesus, Arabs who believe in Jesus, Gentiles who believe in Jesus from all walks of uh, denominations and creeds, and they were all worshiping together, praying together, working together, and in some cases even marrying each other. Um, we, we were kind of said, well, who are you people? Because normally kind of expecting that you guys just be fighting all the time. Um, and then they told us this incredible story of this um, Anglican mission society, which I'd never heard of before. Uh, and after telling us the story, they turned around and said, so can you volunteer? Because we're desperate for volunteers. That wasn't on the radar. Alan, uh, the plan was, you know, um, we were going to drive back to England. Um, uh, we, there were lots of Europe that we hadn't actually seen yet. We hadn't been to the Eastern Bloc countries. Um, and I wanted to get another contract running running a, a hotel or a restaurant or a pub. Uh, British pounds were a fantastic currency. I was the, the, my plan 
was to work another year, sell a car, go back to Australia where I would triple my money, one pound, three Australian dollars. I would then be able to buy a house. Oh, there you go. You know, there's my house, the car, the cat, the kid, the dog and everything. But um, God had a different plan. Um, we, we listened to the, there's an Anglican priest, the church, Anglican church is usually run by, by priests. He, he was the one that asked us if we would stay. I said I, we, we kind of needed to, to pray about it. So we, um, we decided we would go to the Galilee where Jesus had had his ministry and, and we would pray to see if this was what we were supposed to do. And uh, we drove to um, a kibbutz called uh, Kare Deshe, right on the shore of the Galilee, parked our little camper van, got out our Bibles, and we read a psalm. Uh, I don't remember which one, just a psalm. Read a psalm and then prayed. Quiet for a while, looked at Michelle. Did you hear anything? Nope. Okay. Let's give it a bit more time. Okay. A couple of hours later, read another psalm, prayed. Lord, what are we supposed to do? Silence. Did you hear anything? Nope. That went on for three days. Okay. Um, So we decided we'd drive back and we'd tell the the guy, uh, the priest, uh, no. So we sat in in the courtyard. He comes out, sits down um, and says, what's your answer? And I leaned forward to say, no, it's okay. We haven't heard from the Lord. And out came. Yep, I think we'll stay. Looked at Michelle and I was like, what did I just say? It's only recently, actually, I found a proverb which talked about how um, uh, man guards his heart, but the Lord guards his lips. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're crafty. You, you, uh, so we, 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 wanted, we, we agreed to stay verbally um, for, for three months. Uh, it's been 22 let, let me years. Ask, let me ask a question about that experience. Um, sure. Do you... Do you Feel that the Lord made you do it because you don't sa- you didn't you don't sound that even though you're going to say no but said yes you don't sound very upset about it. And we're, yes, were That's you upset good, at yeah, the good time? Observation. Yeah, no, good observation. Um, uh, in my in my in my time here at, in 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 Israel amongst the Jewish people studying at Hebrew University and, and, and twice twice weekly studying with rabbis to keep myself immersed in, in Jewish thought. Um, I've learned the to understand the tension that you find in, um, in, in the Bible, in biblical thought and in biblical theology, that on one hand it says this and on the other hand it says that and both are absolutely true at exactly the same time. So I believe in free will. But at the same time, I believe in the absolute sovereignty of heaven. And um, there's a great Jewish saying, uh, 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 everything is in the hands of heaven except the fear of heaven. And so um, did the Lord um, uh, guard my lips? Yes, absolutely. Am I worried about it? Absolutely not, you know. Um, and so I, I feel very comfortable acknowledging, okay, you, you got me to stay, and I'm very happy with that. 
So maybe this would be a thank good... Thank you for not using Jonah in a big whale on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this would be a good time to, to explain a little more what CMJ is, some of the history. Uh, could you do that? Yep. So um, I... Having um, grown up in the sort of more traditional uh, churches, then uh, it, it, when I heard about that that there was this thing called CMJ, it was an old Anglican mission, I was a little surprised because I'd never heard of it before. So uh, hundreds in the 1800s, at the beginning, the late 1700s, beginning of the 1800s, there was a, a strong evangelical revival amongst the Anglican world and some of the European world too. In the, uh, in the evangelical Lutheran churches, and people were, were, uh, had had new passion for reading the Bible. And as typical Protestants, we had a tendency to take the Bible literally. We did back then, not so much anymore, unfortunately. And um, Jesus wasn't coming back to Paris or to London, as nice as those cities might be. On a literal reading of the text, the Messiah returns to Jerusalem, and the Jewish people were going to return. And, uh, and so these evangelicals in, in England, predominantly Anglicans, put their money where their mouth is and formed a mission society. And uh, back then it was called the London Society for Promoting Christianity Amongst the Jews. They love their long titles and probably still do. Uh, today it's known as CMJ. It, back then it was a who's who of um, British aristocracy because the even dukes and earls and lords read the Bible too. And they also had the wealth that they could put put in to get this stuff started. So Lord Shaftesbury, William Wilberforce, many of the abolitionists who were, were, were against um, slavery, against child labour, um, were also very pro-Israel. And, um, and, and, and this, it, it, this mission society set out to teach the Jewish roots to the church. Now, when you I say, think, when, when you talk about pro-Israel in those days, there was yes. no state of Israel. Yes. Right. Um, It was just even the concept that anything um, uh, anything good could that could develop in that part of the world was just it was almost it was crazy to actually believe that something special was going to happen in the land at at that point in history. Right. Yes. Yes. it, it, It hadn't been taught before. The church was Israel. There was a strong belief in replacement theology. And all of a sudden, at the end of the 1700s and the beginning of the 1800s, these evangelicals come out. There was the odd voice here and there, but this was a definite move of the spirit where these evangelicals came out and said, actually, no, Uh, Israel is the Jewish people. God's got a plan for them. We have to rethink the way we look at our Bible. And, um, And we're really excited to get on board with what God is going to do. And they set out to try they actually believed that Britain was going to be the instrument to bring the Jews back right. and to Israel. First of all, when you say evangelical, and I mentioned this before on, on the podcast, because that term has been getting redefined like so many things are, you're using it to mean Bible-believing Christians. Yes, sir. And yes, when you I use am. the word literal, you mean uh, the plain sense of Scripture, that the Bible actually Correct. means what it says. And, and these um, British Christians and also some mainly German Christians as well, were beginning to see that what the Bible said about Israel and the Jewish people was meant to be taken in the way that it was said, in its plain sense, and God was going to bring the Jewish people back to himself and back to his land, the land. 
But so yes. um, it was Christians that were believing this even before the Jewish community, Jewish world was, right? Correct. So um, the early Zionists my, my, were actually yeah. Christians. Yes. My son is now now in the army, as you, as you mentioned, um, and in, as part of his training, they they do little uh, Jewish history classes and stuff. So they talk about Theodore Herzl, and um, he he was sitting there, and, and I remember um, uh, having a conversation because he's he's learned this history too. They never mentioned that Theodore Herzl had a friend, and his friend was an Anglican priest called William Heschler. And Heschler is the guy that actually found Herzl and prompted him to go around and start uh, uh, doing his thing and getting the Jewish people excited. Heschler was actually related to many of the royal families of Europe. He was the guy that allowed him to get introduced to the Tsar and the Kaiser and all those kinds of dukes and earls and kings. Um, and uh, But that's missing from a lot of modern history. Anyway, it's there. Um, and uh, uh, we were, ex- we, being a, being a, an Anglican, I was actually quite excited that, oh, my gosh, um, God actually did have a plan and actually used England. I'm very surprised. Okay, they got rid of slavery. That That's true. That's great. Um, but they were also keen on, on getting Israel back. And I should have known this anyway because the Balfour Declaration comes from the British government. And uh, and that's the beginning of your legal document for Israel. Um, Israel, out of all, many of the nations of, of the world, is actually a legal country. It has all the paperwork to be a legal nation. Most of the world's countries have no such thing, um, but but this one does. So here 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 are these um, evangelical Bible believing Anglicans and Lutherans. They combined together. Can you believe that they actually got together? This is you know before World War One, and um, and they they sent their teams to wherever there were Jewish people. They sent up hospitals and schools and uh, Bible Bible translation societies and things, and um, and and they came to Israel in 1822 and they. They built the first Protestant church in the Middle East, which was Christ Church. They built the first uh, school for girls in the entire Middle East. They they built um, um, the first modern hospital in Jerusalem, and they they, they helped fight back uh, the plague, which was very prevalent in the 1850s. They developed the first agricultural uh, stations outside the walls of the old city. In fact, the first three buildings outside the walls of the old city of Jerusalem are built by by the Anglican mission. Um, They sort of pioneered and led the way. And uh, that story, I guess, um, really inspired me to say, okay, well, I stand on the shoulders of giants. These guys need some help. You got it. I'm going to help you guys. Um, I didn't think I'd be helping for so long, but I am still here. (laughs) So through the years, uh, you've done, you've had various roles in this um, incredible oasis in the old city. And and full disclosure, uh, I led a tour uh, to Israel uh, a few years ago, and it was with Shorish Tours, which is the tour arm of CMJ Israel, headquartered at the uh, complex at Christchurch. And those of you that have gone to Israel before, if you've never been to Christchurch, you got to go and you got to 
to to check this place out because it is very very special um you never know you might just go to visit there and end up staying for 22 years you you never know so why don't you share some of the things that you've done and 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 eventually and bring us to the the present about uh what your role is currently sure first thing i did um i was i had the first my very first job is i had to literally um pull out all the piping of the male bathrooms which were blocked and scrape everything with a knife Okay, that took me about eight hours, and after they, after I completed that task, uh, the one of the other volunteers came over and said, "Aaron, if you can do this, man, you can do anything." Uh, we, we, none of is us. There gonna to be do a, that is job. there going to be a toilet theme that just keeps on following? Something. You? I think. Yeah. When I get to heaven, God's going to give me a brush and go. You know what to do, son. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Um, uh, so I, I uh, after doing that for a while, um, I Shoresh needed some assistance. And so I went to volunteer with uh, uh, Shoresh and I began helping out with the the tours that were around. And I learned a lot about the land and how geography is, theology, and and, uh, being quite excited listening to Israeli tour guides, Jewish believing tour guides uh, share as they were guiding. Then the Intifada started, the second one, and um, everybody left. So there were no tourists uh, the, the, the so we're Israeli about year 2000, year 2000, right? Yeah, two, year 2000, yeah. 2001, I think. 2000, 2001, when, when Ariel Sharon went on the mountain. And, and uh, they say that they that set them all off. That's actually not true. Um, having lived in Israel, you suddenly discover that very, very little happens uh, like random like that. We all knew exactly when it was going to start. In fact... I walked down to the Western Wall and I watched it start. I, we, everyone knew exactly when this was going to begin. Anyway, the point is um, the work of Christchurch, which was heavily dependent on tourism to fund itself because Jewish ministry isn't very well favoured amongst the church and very, very poorly supported. Uh, that's actually just true. And um, so the uh, I thought that perhaps it was time for me to go back to Australia or to Canada or to England or somewhere. And um, David Pelegi, who's now the rector of Christchurch, said, no, don't go. You should go to Hebrew University and do what? My first degree is in psychology and social work. I don't have any any background in religion. You know, I don't speak Hebrew. Or, uh, I haven't learned that language yet. Well, I went to Hebrew University, and I'm also poor. I've got no money. I've spent all my money paying my own way here as a volunteer. I went to Hebrew University. I, I applied for a scholarship. Didn't expect to get one. I didn't even expect to get enrolled. But I have a suspicion they were a bit short of students. <laughs> and uh, I actually got a full scholarship, was enrolled in the Rothberg program, uh, put into Ulpan Hebrew, Hebrew classes so that my, I could learn to learn Hebrew because you had to do your last classes in Hebrew. Um, to get to get the degree, um, I and discovered I, did, I I fell in love with. I was actually quite good at um, at actually academia, which is a bit of a surprise for me. Um, I guess because when I was young and and silly, I didn't I didn't apply myself uh, at, at Queensland University. So my first degree or my grades are terrible. 
I don't even know where I passed. But at Hebrew University, it's very good. Um, and, and, I, and I did more classes than I should have. It was a two-year degree, and I took three and a half because I just didn't want to leave. I just wanted more. The professors were great. The access to the, to the resources, the library was fantastic. And I took any class I could think of that could show me the connections between uh, the Jewish roots of the Christian faith, anything like that. Um, how did Jews read the Bible, particularly when we didn't have a Bible? So my my course structure was was is is, uh, is sort of dedicated between the years three hundred and three hundred, when within that within that six hundred year time period we've got lots of scrolls. Everyone's trying to work out what can we read, what can't we read. Uh, diff- different communities have access to different books. Sometimes even different versions of the book, um, and and that world is is the world that suddenly the Messiah appears into. And like that's the world I want to know. That's the, I want to know what Jewish the Jewish disciples of Jesus hear when he says the kingdom of heavens like this. What's the why is the the water to, why is Jesus's first miracle water to wine? What's the meaning behind that one? Why not a resurrection or a good demon slaying or something like that? Um, why does these things happen in certain areas? That was always a a good one as well, and at certain times. So, um, yeah, no, I and then I I I took those studies and um, and began to to teach. I, I I was I was fiddling here trying to get back to to bring myself on screen. I wanted to stop you. Could you tell us why water to wine was the first miracle? Would that take sure. long? Yeah. So. Um, Obviously, uh, the Gospels are finely crafted texts, so they even say themselves, you know, there's more material we could have put in here, but this is enough. Okay, great, good, so it's enough. Um, So why is the first one what essentially looks like a party trick? Um, But actually, it ends up being the best one, because if if you're in Israel and you have some wine, if you ever open a new bottle, you have to say a bracha, and uh, you have to say a blessing. You have to bless the Lord. You don't actually bless the thing. You bless the Lord because the thing's already good. When God made the world. He said it was good. Good. Um, great. So what's the blessing? Well, we happen to know because there was a discussion between Hillel and Shammai about the blessing, and they're a generation prior to, prior to Jesus. In fact, they're also not called rabbis. So we know that rabbis only appear around the time of Jesus as well. And so Hillel and Shammai uh, say, you have to say the blessing whenever you get a new new, new wine. Excellent. Well, they even then quote the blessing. So we know what the guy said. So the servants say, say to the mother says to Jesus, you know, they've got no wine. He says to some servants, take some water, give it to the master of the, the ceremonies. The master of the ceremonies has got this new batch of wine. He doesn't know where it comes from. He must say the blessing. He announces in full view, in a loud voice, hundreds of people, blessed are you, the Lord our God. You're the king of the universe. You make the fruit from the vine. And so the, the, the disciples and the servants have suddenly got an aha moment because they've just publicly announced, you, Lord, king of the universe, you make the fruit of the vine. Well, who just made the fruit of the vine? Oh, this little Jewish rabbi, or he a little bit more than that. Wow. <laughs> so the first announcement is a very Jewish way 
Yeah, and it says it was the disciples that knew. No, the servants, the servants knew. Right. Yes. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, says, I, I, and then, I actually hadn't heard that before. That's kind of like an ooh ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks and, for and that. It's a, it's, so the first miracle is Yeshua, Jesus, Yeshua, in a very Jewish way, telling you who He is. Because wow. if He had just walked into a synagogue and said, "Aaron, I'm God," we will sort of sit there and go, "Oh my word, uh, Mary, can we talk to you?" Because uh, your son, I think, has been sitting in the sun a little too long, but. Um, but he does say who he is very openly, but in a very Jewish way. And suddenly the gospel, suddenly the New Testament just abounds with life, with every word making more meaning, telling me how to be a better disciple. Right. So you you went to, you did your studies, and then what happened? Uh, then, I, well, after I finished my studies, I, I had to physically leave the country uh, because of uh, the, the, the visa issue that everybody has when they arrive. Um, so I actually went to America and I put my, my studies into practice. I became a teaching pastor at an evangelical Presbyterian church in Denver, Colorado. And uh, while I was there teaching, um, I, I, a lot of friends who are Presbyterians, but it wasn't really my style. I, I, I was by this stage, I was a bit more liturgical in nature because the synagogue's quite liturgical. I, I used to go to synagogue to improve my Hebrew when I was at Hebrew University. Um, uh, Anglican churches, Lutheran churches also have prayer books, uh, very much modeled on the Siddur, on the Jewish prayer book, uh, if they actually admit it. Um, so I was more comfortable in that way. So I, um, I got in contact with um, a bishop, uh, the Bishop of Bolivia. Um, I was introduced to him, and we, we would Skype regularly, and uh, I put myself down as a candidate for ordination. And um, so after about um, eight months discernment, or what they call formation, where he checks your studies and asks you to do some more studies and stuff like that, um, I was ordained as a deacon. Uh, in the Anglican Church, and then sent back to Christchurch to serve as the deacon. So now we're in the year 2008. And um, uh, De- deacon in the Anglican Church is different from like deacons in Baptist churches, sure, right? Yeah, Do you want to explain it's... what it means to be an Anglican deacon, just so people know? Uh, okay. So so uh, in the in the Anglican tradition, they will say that there are three minister, four ministers of the of the the word lay people deacons priests and and bishops so the first and foremost are actually the laity the and then um, a deacon is an ordained position so it's it's a, a position that you're called to you study for your f- various ways of being formed into into a deacon and um, and it's a it's vows before the Lord to serve in a certain way um, and uh, and and so you acknowledge both temporal and spiritual authority. So obviously Yeshua, Jesus, he's the king, yes, but there's a hierarchy. There are bishops and priests, and they sort of you know um, tell you what to do. So my um, ordination certificate is actually in Spanish, even though I actually speak Spanish. <laughs> and the bishop of Bolivia sent me back to Jerusalem, uh, which is because you discuss where you want to go, obviously. Um, yeah, I was wondering if that was another one against your will. 
<laughs> no, not at all. That was a. It was like I was the only. I was the only way that I was going to get ordained was so I could um, uh, go back and serve. By this stage, um, I kind of knew that this is where I was supposed to be. Um, and uh, my, we had begun to have children here. My son was born um, in a small town uh, not too far from where I am right now, Bethlehem. Don't know if you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why we called him Micah because of the prophet Micah that had prophesied that the Messiah would come from from Bethlehem. Yeah, all, all your kids were born there, right? All our kids were born yeah. there. Um, uh, this, our son in Bethlehem and the two daughters in Jerusalem. So what's it what's it like to be an ascent in a sense an outsider living in the land for so long where you're living in a land where ethnic identity uh, especially Jews and Arabs is so strong and so attached to the region and an Australian couple now having all their kids born there what what's that like and 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 you'll have to touch on what it meant to have your your son join the IDF. So, for, because um, everyone knows their family backgrounds here very well, and the Middle East has a very long memory. Um, I'm not Jewish, I'm not an Arab, I'm not one of the other groups of people here in the, in the land. Um, I'm a foreigner, as yeah, a Gentile. And uh, the stranger, the, the girl. But at the same time, that means I don't have to hide anything. As soon as I leave my house, every one of my neighbors knows there's the Christian. They know that. They know that. So, you, how do I show that I'm a Christian? I just have to leave my front door. When I'm in Canada, when I leave my front door, how does anyone know I'm a follower of the Messiah? I mean, it's actually harder to be a follower of the Messiah and display it. In Canada than it is here. All I got to do is leave the, leave the front door and I'm on display. And so that it, to, to me it's 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 it's, uh, it's like wow, this is actually quite easy. Um, and so I find it I find it very great. I, I can speak Hebrew, so I can engage with the locals very easily. Um, they know who I am, and it gives an opportunity always to share. Why are you here? What are you doing? Why is your son in the army? Um, which is uh, you know. Uh, I'm the Shabbos Goy for my entire street. This is so on Shabbat. Uh, if somebody's lights on and it shouldn't be, or if the air conditioning's on and it shouldn't be, then we get a little knock on the door and they say, "Can you please come and help?" Yeah, not a problem. I really want you to have a great Shabbat. But when we're over there, I turn a few things on, turn a few things off. They always say, "Can you stay for a while and talk?" Absolutely. And we have some great discussions about the Torah, about, you know, I read the Parashat Shavuah, the Torah portion for the week. I'm always up to date on, on what Jewish people are reading. And um, it's a, I find it very easy, actually, Alan, to, to be different. In fact, it's a bit of an asset, um, actually. <laughs> say, say that again. I'm sorry. I didn't hear that last phrase. It's what? It's a, it's, it's a, um, it's being being a diff, being different being a stranger being is actually an asset oh an it's asset actually not di- yeah, it's yeah. not difficult it's uh it's it's actually allowed me to have many conversations that perhaps i would not have had so um so for for jewish people to meet a messianic although it's been changing oh my gosh it's completely changed since i first came here 
there might have been a reticence to engage. There might have been a sort of a fear and a bit of a, well, you're a betrayer. What are you doing? Um, now it's becoming less and less that way. And there's a bit more of a opportunities for Israelis to engage. We see this at Christchurch all the time. Do you, do you and um, did you and Michelle have any apprehensions about Micah joining the army? Well, like any parent that that has their, their kids go to the army, it's a little different um, from other armies. One, it's a conscription, so everybody's got to go. But two, it's it's an army that constantly fights. Um, uh, my son's been training for seven months now, and he's already conducted one mission. And I was a bit surprised when I heard that. It's like. What do you mean you went on a mission? You're not even fully trained yet. You've got another. He joined the special forces, so he's got to do even an extra year than everybody else. Um, uh, and so, so you, you know, your prayer life goes up a bit. I will say that one, Alan. You, you constantly remember, <laughs> uh, may the angels protect our kids. Um, but there's also a there's a, a little hint of um, where you know that daddy's proud. You know, well done, son. You you. It's a good witness. They know that you're a believer. Uh, when he did his his uh, swearing-in ceremony at the wall, they gave him his gun and his New Testament. And then when he swears, he says, are you going to use these to defend Israel? And he says, yes, I swear. And that's and, uh, and he's like, I can I can do that. I'll defend you with this, and I'll defend you with that. This this Bible is a better weapon than the other one, but uh, but I'll I'll defend them with both. Oh, that, that's wonderful. How would you, in just the last couple of minutes we have together, um, when you have an opportunity to share with Christians God's heart for Israel and the Jewish people, what, what do you want them to know? I want people to know that God is not utilitarian. He doesn't use people once and then throw them away. Wow. But that's the way some theology goes around. You know, oh, yeah, God chose the Jews, but, you know, we're done now. It's like, no, if that's true, if that's the way God behaves, then, man, your calling had better be, better be careful too because he could just as easily throw you away. And that, and that is so not true. God's promises are yes and amen. When he says something, he follows it through right to the very end. And, uh, and that's actually... Um, for, 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 for me and, and for many people through history, what's the proof that God keeps his promises? The Jewish people. Right. Uh, I can't remember yeah. the incident, but there was a king who asked one of his advisors, Tell, prove to me that God exists in one word. And he went, sure, the Jews. Yeah. Yeah, so God's continued faithfulness to the Jewish people, which sadly much of the church throughout church history has uh, not only misunderstood, but rejected. I, I don't think I ever heard anybody put it the way you just did. God's not utilitarian. He doesn't use somebody once and then throws them out. And yet, and I kind of felt on behalf of people that that think that way, I kind of felt the ouch of, yes. of, of your saying that, but that's really um, w what it comes down to. And, you know, and you might have something to say about this as well, but there are, there are people that have what they think is a positive view towards the people of Israel and yet see them as like an end times device to bring about God's purposes. And in my opinion, miss that we're dealing with real people that God actually loves and cares about. Did you want to comment on that for a second? 
we we get the same um, concerns here when when we engage with Israelis, and we do. 30 to 40,000 Israelis every year through Christchurch, they will say, oh, you only like us because you want to bring the Messiah. And then we turn around and go, so if that's true, why do we build hospitals? Why do we, why do we, why do we build schools? Why do we, why do we help you um, grow uh, and build kibbutzim and expand in, in, in architecture and stuff? No, we're, we're, we're actually just as passionate about you as God is. And that includes all aspects of who you are, your health, your education, your theology, the Messiah, um, everything. So why do 30 uh, to 40,000 Israelis visit Christchurch every year? Because the if you're Israeli and you're doing a tour of the old city or the tour of, of, of Jerusalem and um, you'll, you'll, your guide will say, look, here's some Byzantine, here's a Turkish ruin, here's King David's, you know, Solomon's walls, Hezekiah, et cetera, et cetera. But just before you just through, continue, like it might be uh, surprising for people to hear that Israelis do tours of Israel, but yeah. Israelis don't live in the biblical sites necessarily. And they're living right. their lives just like everybody else and going to movies and nightclubs and family. But and a lot of them don't really know the history, just like we don't in our own places. So continue on. So they're on these Absolutely. tours. Yeah. So, um, guys from Tel Aviv will, will come to Jerusalem and, and as they're doing a, a historical tour of their city. And when they get to the when the guide is saying, well, now we better talk about the 1800s and how our city actually became the city we're looking at today. Well, you have to talk about the Protestants arriving and, and, and kickstarting everything, and there's only one place to go. And uh, so they come to Christchurch and they get a story of, of um, the Protestants arriving in the 1800s, building the hospitals and schools, starting infrastructure, building a consulate, and et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, encountering these people called the Messianic Jews. Who were they? What did they believe? Um, and, and as their numbers grow, uh, it's becoming more and more comfortable to engage in a, in a dialogue, which is good news. So you actually at Christchurch, you have this area called the Heritage Center, right? And you've at some point in time, you were the, the guy for the Heritage Center, right? Yeah, I managed it for about eight years and um, I, I had a team of five uh, Jewish believers and uh, we would share our, our faith uh, with so many because Israelis, uh, you know, Jewish people are, are, are curious people. And they I wonder why ask, that is. Yes, I wonder why that is. <laughs> They're always asking why. So when 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 we say just just some, something simple as this, welcome to Christchurch. This is a, a Protestant church. The first bishop of this church was a rabbi who had come to faith in the Messiah. You know, up comes the hand. Or actually, no, up comes the hand. They just go, hey, what do you mean a rabbi comes to faith in the Messiah? No, Jews don't believe in the Messiah, in Jesus. And then you go, well, actually, the guy standing next to me, he's Jewish and uh, he believes in Yeshua. So you want to ask him that question? Yes, please. Uh, my work here is done. You know, <laughs> uh, so yeah. it's it's so Heritage Center that and I've I've been given the tour. You weren't the manager at the time when I was there, but it has these models of ancient Jerusalem and packed of information of of the of those early days. And so. Folks, if you do get a chance to visit Jerusalem, you need to go visit Christchurch. There's a great coffee shop on site. Um, you can attend a, a service there. It's the most Jewish, it's most Jewishy Christian church building in the world, probably. 
it was, it, it, yeah, it's it's really different as well as being this incredible oasis uh, in in the, in the city. Um, so is if if you want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that, Aaron? Uh, to be in touch with me, you can uh, send an email. Uh, do the email is that described in the link down the bottom? It will be. Okay. There is also a CMJ Canada. You actually have a branch of this organization, and you're welcome to go to their website and sign up for their newsletters and get involved with them. Um, and because uh, because they've got some ideas of of getting involved in the land. All right. So I'll make sure that your email address is listed in the description. People can contact you directly that way. And I'll put in the link to CMJ Canada and you can learn more about CMJ's work in the world and in Israel in particular. Well, Aaron, thank you so much uh, that you did did this today. I'm a little speechless. Thank you. Uh, really appreciate you sharing your personal story and your heart. And maybe we'll have a chance to do this again. And people can check you out and, and CMJ and, and see what you're all doing there. And uh, every blessing to you and your family and, and God's protection upon Micah in particular. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks, brother. Yeah. So again, please feel free to uh, contact Aaron and check out CMJ uh, Canada. The The links are, are down below. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you have any questions for myself, you could contact me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically. Thinking Biblically.